What's going on, everybody? And welcome back to Be Shave Daily. Another edition here on Tuesday, November 22nd, 2022. I'm Brendan Schaefer, your host. It's been a while. Been a crazy time. The baby's doing good. But we're back in the saddle here for some Be Shave Daily and some Cardinals off-season talk ahead of the Thanksgiving holiday. Appreciate you guys for joining back in here with me. Make sure you're subscribed to Be Shafe Daily, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts as we break down everything going on with the Cardinals offseason. It's been kind of quiet so far. Hasn't been a lot to get up in arms about. Hasn't been a lot to talk about, really. But it had been so long, I said, okay, let's get going. And I appreciate you guys for being patient and then hopping right back in as we break down uh, what's going on or really what could be going on for the St. Louis Cardinals in the offseason. Not really a lot of moves at all across baseball, and that's a little disappointing, but that's kind of the way that things have gone in recent years, right? It wasn't just even a pandemic thing, I think, that uh, has caused the free agent market to just be a slow developing one in baseball. That was really the case before 2020. It's just the way these things seem to go. Maybe as the winter meetings get ramped up in early December, you'll see some more action. But so far, not really much going on. But we'll talk about the minor moves that have been made, really just on the 40-man roster front. Cardinals have added a little bit. Uh, they they picked up a minor league infielder that they add to the 40-man. I don't think that move is anything crazy. They've subtracted a little as well, at least one notable name that we'll make sure to discuss. Wasn't a surprising move in my mind, but to see Alex Reyes officially non-tendered by the Cardinals, he'll be a free agent now. And his time with the Cardinals comes to an end. And so we'll recap that a little bit. And then we'll start talking about maybe some of the moves that could be made. Uh, I want to get into the Lars Newtbar thing because that has been a name that's floated around on social media, on Twitter, as a potential trade-away candidate for the Cardinals this offseason. I don't see it that way. I know I've probably talked about it a little bit already, but I want to rehash that conversation as the news of the Blue Jays trading Teoscar Hernandez away has sort of invited speculation that maybe the Cardinals and Blue Jays could match up and Toronto may be now in need of an outfielder. And Toronto does have some things the Cardinals could use, but I don't really think Lars Nupar would be the way I'm looking to acquire those items if, in fact, a trade between the Cardinals and the Blue Jays should come to fruition. So I want to talk about that, and I want to talk free agency a little bit specifically at the shortstop position because the way I look at this offseason for the Cardinals, if there's one spot on the diamond that it would make sense to splash and try and spend some money, get an upgrade, to me it's at shortstop, but not because of any deficiency of Tommy Edmond at the position. I think he's done a nice job. It's more about the market and what it has to offer in terms of an elite bat and an upgrade to the lineup. And it just so happens to be that there are several shortstops that fit the billing I think, offensively as to what the Cardinals could use to upgrade their starting nine. So I want to talk about that and some of the names that I would be very intrigued by, maybe the names I'm not as in on, but there's really four, I think, big shortstop candidates that I want to run through on this episode of the show. So once again, welcome in. Thank you all for being here. Go ahead and subscribe to the show if you haven't done that already on Apple or Spotify. Make sure you're following me on the socials as well. I'm at bshafer12 everywhere, not just Twitter. Uh, but Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, all that is at bshafer12. And you never know, maybe Twitter will cease to exist at some point, thanks to Elon Musk. We don't know. Uh, it seems to be uh, 
going along just okay for now, but I'm I'm going to try to ramp up on TikTok and things like that, have a little fun. So at B Schaefer 12 everywhere, and it's also patreon.com slash B Schaefer 12 if you want to support the show. I mentioned the Lars Newpar thing. I know I haven't been doing a lot on Patreon for you guys that are over there. Appreciate you and uh, wanted to show that, put an article up this week about the Lars Newpar conversation that we'll dive into a little bit further here on the show today. Uh, but if you want to give that a read, head on over to patreon.com slash bshafer12. And if you don't subscribe to the Patreon, but you're like, oh, I'm interested in the article, I want to hear what it's about, shoot me a message at bshafer12 on Twitter. If you say, hey, I heard bshafer daily, I, I was interested in uh, what it looks like, some of the written content on Patreon, I'll send you that that Lars Newpar article for free, give you a, a glimpse at what that's about if you're interested. So that's just for supporting and listening to the show. Thank you guys for being here. Let's go ahead and hop in. We'll start with kind of the boring stuff, which is uh, the 40-man roster moves for the Cardinals. They they take Ben Deluzio, outfielder, sort of a, a bench bat, defensive replacement, pinch runner that you guys remember from late in the 2022 season. They non-tendered him, and then they non-tendered Alex Reyes, which means they didn't offer him a contract, even though they could have. He didn't have to become a free agent. The Cardinals could have retained his services for one more year under the arbitration system. I think he made about $2.85 million this past season, and that means you're going to make at least that much in the future season, even though you didn't play this year due to injury. Alex Reyes was going to make close to $3 million if the Cardinals wanted to offer him a contract for 2023. The way it would have worked is they could have said, here's your contract offer. Alex Reyes said, yeah, no no thanks on that. I'm going to go ahead and take this to arbitration. And then at that point, the two sides, Alex Reyes' camp and the Cardinals, would submit their figure for what they believe Alex Reyes should earn for 2023, and the arbitration panel would pick one number or the other. But at a minimum, it was going to be that high two millions range, around $3 million probably. And the Cardinals said, we don't know what this guy's going to bring. He's had shoulder surgery. He may not pitch again. There's a lot of uncertainty there. And I mean, the Cardinals probably have a better idea right now of how his rehab has been going than we do in the public because it's just not a guy that you've t- you've heard a lot about because there's been no reason. You knew he was out for the year, and so updates on him were, were sparse. But re- you could say his rehab has gone splendidly, and the Cardinals still probably would not be in a position for 2023 to commit financially around $3 million to his uh, what would have been his final season because it was arbitration three meaning he would have been eligible for free agency after the 2023 season. So the Cardinals, this is not a surprising move. They don't tender him a contract. He becomes a free agent. And that brings an end to a tumultuous five years in the big leagues for Reyes, really six. Came up late in 2016. He was so good as a starter down the stretch for the Cardinals. That was my first year covering the Cardinals. And I remember, I was like, oh, this guy's going to be special. And everybody thought that because he was electric, had a live arm, had some nasty stuff, and then the injuries came. 2017, 2018, 2019, he really only pitched like three com- or seven combined innings, I want to say it was, the next three years. Various injuries, uh, elbow, and then had the lat injury that knocked him out after that Milwaukee start when he came back. He had an incident in the minors where he punched a wall or something, and that broke his hand. He was out a few weeks for that. Like It was just one thing after the next for Alex Reyes. 2020 comes, the whole world is in shambles, and I guess that was the chaos Alex Reyes needed to finally get right. And in 2020, he was pretty healthy. It was only a 60-game season, but he made his mark in the Cardinals' bullpen, and we thought, okay, this is a start. And the next year, he was an all-star, became a pretty good closer. Unfortunately, though, that season in 2021 ends with Alex Reyes uh, delivering the pitch to Chris Taylor that goes for the home run, that loses the Cardinals the wild-card game. And because of his injury this year, 
uh, had that surgery in May and, and was pretty much out from spring training. That ends up being the final pitch of his Cardinals career. What once had a lot of promise turns out to have been uh, pretty underwhelming, unfortunately. There were some bright spots for Alex Reyes, but it just health-wise, I don't think there's there's many guys in, in the history of the organization that you can look at and say, from a health perspective, man, he was he was dealt a raw deal. And uh, if you, you hear that question often, who's a guy in sports history that if uh, you could give them a clean bill of health for their whole career, who would you go back and change uh, that aspect of their careers and, and see what they come up with? I think Alex Reyes would be a great answer to that question because he had a lot of promise, could have been really special. And it's not that he's done necessarily as a big league pitcher. He's still only 28 years old, but he's done with the Cardinals. The Cardinals just financially it got to that point where you're not going to commit to that on an injury basis. Now anybody else can sign him to a contract and it can be for whatever amount they want. They could sign him for a million bucks. If Reyes agrees to it, it you know, it's not going to be that he's beholden to what that arbitration three salary would have been. I've had people ask, you know, do you think the Cardinals would, would kind of work with him and, and, sign him up for a lesser deal to kind of bring him back and see him through his rehab? Uh, the answer to that is no. I don't expect that to happen. Uh, think about it this way. Remember John Brebia, the reliever for the Cardinals, who was pretty real, pretty good for a year or two in St. Louis, had the injury, Tommy John, I think it was, and he was scheduled to where he was going to be able to pitch that next year, but not for maybe until the middle of the season. And the Cardinals in arbitration once again, and it was only like a million, million and a half for Brebia. They said, nope. We're good on that. And then he's gone on to have some solid seasons, uh, went to the Giants. I don't know if he's still there, but he's had a couple good years since then. The Cardinals just don't want to want to mess with paying a guy through the injury. And I think at a certain point, it's just, even though Cardinals fans like Alex Reyes, and I'm sure the Cardinals like Alex Reyes, it's, it's got to be frustrating from an organizational standpoint at a certain juncture to continue dealing with the on-again, off-again of his health. And the Cardinals probably are, are fine with having a clean break there. It didn't work out. It's It goes down as a big disappointment. But hopefully, I'll, I'll still be rooting for Reyes. I'll still be rooting for him to find his way somewhere. And it, again, if he can get healthy, I have no doubt that he can end up being good. I don't know about a starter, but we've seen him in a relief role for a couple years. And, you know, he did some good things. 3.24 ERA for the Cardinals in 2021. Uh, 29 saves. Had 95 strikeouts in that season. I'd have to go back and see uh, how many innings he pitched. But it couldn't have been... 95 no 72 innings so great strikeout ratio last we saw him but this was a shoulder surgery I believe that he had um back in May so that's you've pretty much run the gambit of different arm body injuries that you can have and they're kind of all especially you go from the lat to the shoulder that's a little bit related and in terms of the machinations of how the body works so yeah, it's an uphill climb for him. I hope nothing but the best for Reyes, but uh, it makes a lot of sense and did not surprise me at all. I would have been more surprised if the Cardinals had given him a, a free $3 million bucks to maybe be able to pitch in 2023. Uh, the fact that they did not do that was not a surprise to me in any way. All right, let's go on to the next order of business here. I uh, want to mention real quick, Paul Goldschmidt won the MVP. That was to be expected. I'm glad that it didn't uh, end up that his September, which was pretty poor, uh, cost him in any way. I, based on his numbers, on the cumulative, there was still no reason for him not to win the award. I believe he earned 22 of the 30 first-place votes. Manny Machado got seven. Arenado, who was the other finalist, got one of the 30. And uh, Goldie pretty decisively ends up as the MVP of the National League. 
not a whole lot to say about that because obviously no games have been played since we last talked about him, but very deserving. Age 35, he spent most of the season at age 34, but turned 35 in September. For him to have one of the best seasons of his career, and I think you could argue that it was the best season of his career given the differences between uh, where he played in, I think it was 20, I don't know, 13, 14, 15, one of those years in Arizona where they had a more hitter-friendly ballpark and he OPSed north of 1,000. Uh, Goldie, I believe, 985 was his ending OPS, led the National League. Amazing season. And the bottom line for Goldschmidt, and, and what I have to say about this, is that the Cardinals need to take advantage of the fact that they had two top three finishers in the MVP last season, and those guys are still in their primes. Like, even though Goldie's 35, Arnado's in his low 30s, you're not going to have those guys in their primes at the same time forever. And you need to take advantage of the years that you do, which leads us to this offseason. What are the Cardinals going to do to strengthen this roster and look to make a push in 2023? We'll talk about two positions today. We've got a full offseason. So let me know, too, if you've got a specific topic you want me to talk about when it comes to, hey, could the Cardinals pursue this? Would this make sense for St. Louis? During the offseason, at bshafer12 on Twitter, send me a direct message or shoot me a voicemail message right here on B-Shafe Daily. You can do that by going to anchor.fm slash bshafer12 slash message if you've got thoughts for the show. But today we're going to do catcher a little bit as it relates to a potential trade with Toronto, and we'll go into the shortstop market as well. Let's start with catcher because the Blue Jays have a, a couple guys, I think, that Cardinals fans would and should be interested in. Alejandro Kirk and Danny Jansen are two pretty good catchers, two pretty good hitting catchers that are like 27 in Jansen's case and 24 in Kirk's case years old. Jansen would be team controlled for a couple more years. Kirk for four or five more years, I think. Several more years uh, for Kirk, who's a little bit younger. And the Cardinals are obviously going to be involved in the catching market because they've said so. I'm a person that kind of believes maybe we shouldn't completely write off Andrew Kisner yet. I know that his numbers weren't good this past season. I know that you need more offense from the catcher position than what Kisner and Yachty combined to give. But I do think that Kisner made strides in other areas this past season. And I think outside the shadow of Yachty, he could even blossom a little bit more because you got to imagine, as I've talked about before, that the backup catcher for the Cardinals, that's a position that, again, not super easy to, to be in that role, knowing the, 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 the workload is going to go to Molina in most cases, and when it's not Molina, you're just being asked, you know, hey, how are you going to be able to fill the shoes of Yadier Molina now that he's injured or whatever? And that is maybe a difficult circumstance under which to blossom as a big league player. And I don't know that Yadi was always the most helpful to Andrew Kisner. So I feel like Kisner has sort of been able to watch Yadier Molina and, and grow in that way, but he sort of had to forge his own path. And now... There could be an opportunity, but he didn't do enough in 2022 to basically have the Cardinals say, all right, we're cool with you being our catcher for 110 games this year. And the Cardinals shouldn't do that because if you go into the next season and Kisner just doesn't ever take that step forward offensively, you're you're basically giving the other side an auto out at the bottom of your lineup each time through. So Kisner, I'm not giving up on him. I do think the Cardinals need to go add a catcher. I don't know that they need to add a guy that can that, that's going to be a workhorse guy. They don't have to add someone to catch 130 games a year. Those guys are few and far between. The, the Yadier Molinas, they don't really exist anymore in the game. Uh, they didn't really exist when Yadi was doing it. it was, he was a rare breed. But if you go out and get a guy that can catch 80, 90, 95 games, and Kisner can get the other 70, 
I'm actually pretty okay with that. I don't want Kisner to just fade into obscurity. Now, the Cardinals may trade Kisner, and this conversation becomes moot because they don't believe in him and they want to move on. That's not what I think they should do. I would be pretty satisfied with Kisner to be the short side of a, of a catching platoon this next season. That's what I would personally do. He'd catch 60 to 70, 75 games more if he's hitting well. Um, and we saw some some bursts from him late in the season, hitting a few home runs. He's a he's an energetic guy. He's of that Newt Bar ilk, honestly, uh, when he gets a chance to show what he's about. So I am very pro-Andrew Kisner. I'm not quick to dis- dismiss him completely. Now, the Cardinals may be. They may not have the same viewpoint that I do based on the way that they've talked about the catcher position being a position of need in the offseason. You kind of have to balance those words to wonder, okay, does that mean they, they need a guy that's going to be a workhorse or do they just need to supplement because they don't think Ivan Herrera is ready to be an 80-game-a-season catcher right now at the big league level. They didn't like what they saw from him last year. Not ready, maybe never is going to be. I, wherever you are on that spectrum, it's clear that I think the Cardinals are not going to go into 2023 factoring Herrera much into their plans. Top prospects, sure, but plenty of top prospects don't turn into top big leaguers. So he's got some development yet to do, and the Cardinals are, I'm sure, hopeful that he can make that way, but they've got to figure out the catcher position for 2023 because, as I said, you've got those two MVP candidates. You've got one more year of Wainwright. You still need to maximize the now and not always just be saying, well, are we going to block such and such? It doesn't matter about blocking prospects. The Cardinals cannot, they're not in a position where I think they should be thinking in that regard. Don't have that mindset. Have the mindset of what what do we got to do to win this season because the Cardinals need to win next season. So I'd be looking at the catcher position. That being said, would I be looking to trade Lars Newtbar to upgrade at the catcher position? From a statistical standpoint, you could look at Alejandro Kirk or Danny Jansen and say, that's a good baseball trade if you move Newtbar for either of those guys because Danny Jansen, good offensive season last year, OPS of 855. It's higher than Newtbar's 788, although Newtbar really was strong the second half of the season, above 800 during that portion of the, of the year. But from a catcher to hit with an 855 OPS in 248 play appearances. Pretty impressive stuff. 15 home runs, only 72 games for Jansen because you had Kirk also filling a lot of time on that team, and he ended up sort of as the primary guy, but he also DH'd plenty as well. I don't know if Jansen dealt with injury that limited his time or not, but Kirk, he played in 139 games, 541 play appearances. That's pretty much a full season for uh, in terms of offensive opportunity for a catcher. Now, he, he did DH 51 times for the Blue Jays, did Kirk. So he was just, they, they were getting his bat in the lineup any way they could. You understand why another good hitter, 786 OPS, 126 OPS plus from a catcher, hit 285, 14 home runs. So not as much power as Jansen, at least this past year, but really good numbers. And a guy that as a 372 on base from your catcher, that's very like prime Yadier Molina-esque, right? Like he gets, and even better, in that he takes walks, and Yachty really never did. Um, so you get a little bit of power in that 10 to 15 home run range. You get an o, you know, an OPS near 800. You get a, a on-base percentage above 350. Like Those are really good, encouraging numbers. And Alejandro Kirk, just 24 years old, won't be a free agent until 2027, so you'd have a, a good chunk of time with him. The same is true for Lars Newpar, and I think that's why people gravitate toward wondering if this would be a fit because the Blue Jays just traded an all-star outfielder, Lars Newpar. Uh, with what he did, especially over the second half of last year, looked like a guy that could become an all-star outfielder in this league. 
and was not a top prospect. And so that's why I think a lot of people say, oh, you if you're the Cardinals, you capitalize on what Newt Bard did down the stretch. If another team thinks he's that guy and you're kind of saying, well, he wasn't really a top prospect, and so maybe we're just going to sell high off of Newt Bard's 788 OPS where he slugged 448, had 14 home runs, and 347 plate appearances and looked like a, an energizer bunny for the last couple months of the season. Maybe we just capitalize now and we go get a fixture at catcher, which is a, a tough position to fill. That makes sense. And I understand it. But I also look at the Cardinals outfield and say, I don't know what it looks like in 2022 without Lars Newpar, and so I still don't know what it looks like in 2023 without Lars Newpar. Like, he was their best producing outfielder by the end of the season. You could say that that's not sustainable, but I think he's an above-average hitter at the big league level. Like, that's what I am settling into as as my opinion on this player. 2021, sparing opportunity, had an OPS plus of 103, so a little bit above average. And then this past year, the opportunity just wasn't there for him at the beginning of the year. You can think back to the start of the season. Why was he struggling and not even on the big league roster at times because they kept sending him down? Because he wasn't getting played. The Cardinals committed $5 million to Corey Dickerson, and in retrospect, I think it was a mistake. Even though they ended up getting some good production of him uh, from him later in the year, I think if you start out with Lars Newpar getting some of those opportunities that Dickerson was basically toiling away and wasting at the beginning of the year, maybe Newpar's the guy that, that kind of settles into his own a little sooner, and, and you end up with a full season of an all-star type of player. Because defensively, he's a big difference maker, I think, in right field. And offensively, he certainly was a difference maker in the second half. I think Lars Dupar, I don't know if batting average-wise you love him as that cleanup, pardon me, not cleanup, but leadoff guy. But in the latter half of the season, him and Brandon Donovan at the top of the lineup was a a mixture that really worked for the Cardinals. And the on-base percentage of 340, he took a good number of walks, 50 walks in, or 51 walks, rather, in 347 PAs. And that brought his OPP to, to 340. And 340, 350, that can work as a guy batting leadoffer in the number two spot in the lineup. And I think that Lars Newpar can just kind of sustain what he did in, in the aggregate this past year. OPS near 800, good right field defense, cost controlled. You don't need to worry about this guy going to free agency or costing you a lot of money. He's not going to be a free agent until 2028. You've got basically a full five, six years coming up. He's only got a year of service time. Five more years of Lars Newpar. And I feel like he can be a starting outfielder in this league for a contending team for years to come. Is catcher more of a difficult position to fill? Yes, it is. So I'd be pursuing those guys from Toronto because they've got a glut of catching. That's the only reason they'd look to do it. They have the, the two guys I mentioned that have been plus hitters and uh, plus defenders, I think, in the case of Kirk Jansen's more just okay defensively as a catcher from what I understand. But in the case of Kirk, he might actually be above average, pretty good, and only 24 years old. So, like, those guys don't grow on trees. Don't get me wrong. I totally get it. I am of the belief that maybe in the group of just kind of very similar outfielders the Cardinals have, that's where their glut has been. You've got guys that are pretty athletic, pretty good hit tool, but not great. And maybe sometimes that reverts back to average or below average in the case of Dylan Carlson. Like, we had a lot of promise for Dylan Carlson, great defender, how consistent is the bat going to be? We don't know. Alec Burleson, similar story as far as a left-handed bat. Don't know what his floor or his ceiling is going to be at the big league level, but you expect reasonably high floor, maybe not a huge ceiling for Burleson. The Cardinals have a lot of guys like that and have over the years. 
Bader is another example. They traded him away. Tyler O'Neill in left field is a little bit of a different story. He's sort of, rather than a high-floor, low-ceiling guy, he's sort of the opposite. He's a low-floor because the injuries and the the swing and miss can really creep into his game and make him not as effective. But a high ceiling, he finished in the top 10 in the MVP vote in 2021. Can he stay on the field? Can he produce? All those things are questions. And so the Cardinals, again, are going into an offseason where they say, we've got four or five outfielders. I'll throw Jordan Walker into this mix because I think he's the the highest upside guy of them all, and he's been transitioned to outfield and it's going to be around in 2023. He will be He'll make it to the big leagues in 2023, barring something unexpected. I just don't know if it's going to be at the beginning of the year, and that may not be his fault. That may just be the way the Cardinals operate. You game the service time, and you don't bring him up till May or June. You know That could be a way that this goes, but if that's the case, you're not maximizing your roster at the beginning of the season if you trade away Lars Newtbar for a catcher, and then you replace him with you know Corey Dickerson 2.0 in free agency. Last year, the Cardinals could have signed Jock Peterson in free agency if they would have spent probably $8, $9, $10 dollars because he went to San Francisco for six. You could tell me, well, San Francisco is just where he wanted to be. That's great. If you offer him $9 million, I bet he'll be happy to be in your organization, especially considering his brother Tiger Peterson is a, a coach in the, in the minors for the Cardinals. And, and so I don't think that there was any reason that Peterson wouldn't have signed with St. Louis if they'd offered more money. Maybe they didn't offer him any money. Maybe they didn't want him at all. But they, they signed a left-handed bat, signed an outfielder. It just was the guy they paid $5 million to instead of 6 7 or 8 or 9 And Dickerson didn't have a great year. Jock Peterson did have a great year. He's an all-star, had an 874 OPS, and hit 23 home runs and 433 plate appearances. And then, I believe, accepted the qualifying offer this offseason, which is like $19 bucks. So you could have got a great value for him if you would have been a little bit more willing to spend on more of a sure thing than a bargain you know, bargain level free agent that didn't turn out to be a bargain because he didn't produce. So spending that extra few million, I think, is got to be the goal of the Cardinals this offseason. If you've got a position to fill, whatever rung of the ladder you're looking at, whatever sh- uh, shopping aisle you're in, whatever shelf you're looking on, look a couple shelves higher than that and figure out a way to just spend the extra money for the, again, there's no such thing as a sure thing, but for the more sure thing that the guy you can be more confident will actually produce. I don't know if I trust the Cardinals to do that in free agency with outfield, and I do know that Lars Nupar is sitting there as a guy that I think you can trust to be one of your uh, solid offensive players, defensive players, starting right fielder. 2.2 wins above replacement this past season, according to baseball reference, and he did that in virtually half a year, maybe a little more than half a year, 108 games played, 347 plate appearances. So, I mean... If you if you tease that out, about four wins above replacement, three and a half to four, it's a good player. If you can fill your whole team with guys like that, you're going to win a lot of games, and he's cost-controlled. So I understand it. I wouldn't personally do it. I'm not trading Lars Newpar this offseason, barring some assurances that the rest of the outfield is going to be taken care of. Because I think at this point, you're looking at O'Neill and Carlson in that outfield matrix to begin the year unless somebody's traded. Like, I'd be looking to trade O'Neill of... of the outfield options that you currently have because he's only got a couple years left before free agency and there might, you know, just one year removed from that MVP top 10 finish. I would be looking to capitalize on the two years he's got remaining if another team is willing to to help you out there. Maybe the Blue Jays aren't interested in Tyler O'Neill, although there would be a nice connection there. He's a Canadian player, not from the Toronto area, but still um, two years. I, I think that'd be an interesting fit. You'd have to give more, though, 
to get one of these catchers, but maybe not. Like, would you trade Tyler O'Neill for Danny Jansen? I would. I think I probably would do that, even though I think Danny Jansen not as much of a, a guarantee in terms of his offense because he's had uh, a couple good years in a row, but prior to that he was kind of 640, 671 in the OPS department, so maybe not as consistent, not as much of a guarantee. Tyler O'Neill's not a guarantee either, though, and I feel like that would be the spot to say I'm willing to make a move to, to sort of uh, supplement catcher, and I think it, it's a fit, too, because they've got the same number of uh, years remaining in, in, before free agency. Jansen and O'Neill both free agents after 2024. I'm I'm just sort of, and I get it, the upside for O'Neill probably higher than for Danny Jansen, but I feel as though Newt Barr has an upside, and I'm, I'm, I guess he could slump. Like, I could be wrong about him. A lot of people are saying this is the time to sell high on him. Totally get it. I personally just don't subscribe to that, and time will tell. That's the beauty of these off-season opinions. Like, we'll know. We'll eventually be able to say, hey, you were right or you were wrong. And right now in the market, and, and most people seem to be saying, Lars Newtbar, this is the time to sell him and capitalize on what he's been because we don't think he'll be that sustained moving forward. I say I think he will be that, so I wouldn't be trading him. I would be willing to trade Tyler O'Neill to make a deal with the Blue Jays. I'd be willing to trade Nolan Gorman if it meant uh, Alejandro Kirk. I think Nolan Gorman is interesting because he's a he is got that top prospect pedigree, pardon me, uh, but similar kind of high risk, high upside in terms of what he brings offensively. 721 OPS as a rookie this past year, hit the 14 home runs, and if you combine it with the 16 he hit in Memphis, it's kind of a full season, 30 home runs, uh, definite raw power potential there for Nolan Gorman, but where is he going to play for the Cardinals? Like, I just don't know where it's going to fit. It might just be DH in second base, and he ends up being an all-star, and that's great. But I question whether Ali Marmel and the Cardinals are going to be willing to see Nolan Gorman through some of the slumps that you almost have to to sort of keep throwing him out there until you get the power production. They 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 really hung him out to dry during the latter months of the season this past year, and I get that a lot of it was probably Albert Pujols related and less Nolan Gorman related because it was just, all right, it doesn't matter righty-lefty Albert's DHing. And that meant really no spot for Gorman to play, especially with the way Brandon Donovan was uh, getting on base as often as he was and playing a lot of seconds. So maybe the answer is so much simpler now that Pujols is retired. But also I could see a world where like you go into the season saying, yeah, Gorman's going to play 130 games and he's or he's going to play every day against right-handed pitching at least. And he's going to play second or he's going to DH, whatever the case might be. And we're going to feel really good about the production he gives. Yeah, you could do that, but... I also had said I'm looking for a shortstop upgrade because I think you need a bonafide bat in this lineup this offseason to add. And shortstop might be the position to do that. We might run out of time on today's podcast uh, now that we're 30 minutes in and we haven't gotten to it yet. But if you do make a move like that, maybe the Cardinals aren't thinking of it and so we're just wasting our breath. But if you did go out and sign a shortstop, you move Tommy back to second, that pretty much negates the possibility for Gorman to have that hefty workload. So that's sort of where I'm at. I'm looking at it and saying... If you can capitalize on his promise as a top 100 prospect, I would probably do Gorman for Alejandro Kirk. Sooner than I would Newbar, even if Gorman maybe has more upside as a player and as a hitter in the big leagues, I we've seen Lars Newbar have a pretty good season and a, a tremendous second half where he sustained the Cardinals in a lot of ways at the plate. So I, I'm I'm interested in these Blue Jays catchers. I just don't think I just don't think Lars Newbar is the answer. Like, you could go into the season with Jordan Walker as your starting right fielder. You've got questions about O'Neal in left, questions about Carlson in center. Like, Carlson was a platoon guy the the latter portion of the season. They, they weren't playing him against right-handed pitching 
And the reason for that was he wasn't hitting right-handed pitching when he was playing. So you could go add a left-handed outfield bat, but you have one. His name is Lars Newtbar. And I, I honestly think in terms of free agency, I think you could do better at the catcher position than the outfield position. Cardinals could find a good outfielder. There are guys to be had there, but I feel like they'll end up signing the Corey Dickerson 2.0. They'll sign the guy that they don't have to overpay for, but you're going to get what you pay for, and it's not going to be what Lars Newpark could produce. That's sort of where I'm at on it. Catching-wise, Christian Vasquez interests me. I don't know if the Astros are bringing back Martin Maldonado. Uh, Tucker Barnhart would interest me. I Honestly, I'm not looking for the Wilson Contreras type of bat at catcher unless it sort of falls into your lap and just makes perfect sense. Uh, I don't know that Contreras does because I think he's going to be more of a DH than a catcher the next five years. And that doesn't really help the Cardinals. Like he could, he could OPA say 100, that would help anybody. But if you have to reserve the DH spot for him, I think that takes away the flexibility that the Cardinals want to have with their lineup with the way they can work platoons. They want to have that DH spot open for guys like Gorman if he's still here or others uh, that, that they can mix and match with. So I don't know necessarily that Contreras makes a lot of sense for what he's going to cost. I'd rather sign a shortstop. If it's $20, $25 million a year, put, devote that money toward a shortstop and pay a little bit more on an annual basis if you, if you have to to get the guy that I think could be the more uh, productive and versatile player to your roster for the next five years. That would be the way I would look at it. But I like a Christian Vasquez. Solid enough offense. Solid veteran presence defensively. Maldonado, not a great hitter, but if I'm the Cardinals, I'm not banging the table to say I've got to have an all-star caliber hitter at catcher. I just need a guy who can handle the pitching staff and give me something. Give me a 700 OPS instead of 575, which is sort of what they were getting from Yachty and Kisner this past year. Give them something, but it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be a guy that OPS is 800. You'd like it to be always, but I. I think there are other ways to make the upgrades with the resources the Cardinals have than trading an outfielder who's cost-controlled for five more years and that I consider to have been a breakout candidate this past year with the way that he that he ended the season. I think he can sustain it. I don't think Lars Newpar is going to turn into a pumpkin, and that's kind of the reason uh, that I think maybe I don't make that trade. The other aspect of Newpar is that we've touched on a little bit, just the energy that he brings to the team. That's more of an intangible, and a lot of people would say that doesn't matter in trade talks like you you look at that stuff very much on the back burner. I think it does matter. I think you production has to matter most, but I don't want to completely discount that Lars Newbar was a an energy guy to the team. You look at team culture, you can't quantify that into a wins above replacement, but like look at the Phillies. They clearly had some sluggers that got them the, the talent they needed to make the World Series, but the team culture was clearly very, very high, very good morale as they went on that run. I think Newbar's a kind of guy that brings that, and I do think it has value. It's a good tiebreaker, certainly, uh, but I don't think the Cardinals have other guys in the outfield that I, that I say without him, you feel good about that outfield going into uh, the next season. It could be that I'm wrong about this, but personally, I'd look for other avenues to acquire a catcher, whether it's free agency or trading some different pieces. Like you could trade Alec Burleson and some pitching maybe for Danny Jansen. You, are, are the Blue Jays even willing to trade Kirk? I wouldn't be if I were Toronto. And so I, I think that there are other maybe ways to go about it. Tyler O'Neill, another guy that I mentioned, could be interesting in terms of uh, just matching the Blue Jays for, for Danny Jansen. I'm, I'm going to kind of think about that a little bit more because that's that's interesting and could fill a need for both sides. But nevertheless, I, I do what I've always done and rambled on too much about one of the topics and uh, have left us at 35 minutes here, looking to wrap up this one pretty shortly on B-Shape Daily. I wanted to at least mention the names of the shortstops, and maybe we'll go into further depth next time, uh, which I'll try to do for uh, Wednesday before the Thanksgiving holiday so that you guys uh, can have a little bit more 
content over the break and and uh, take a couple of days Thursday, Friday, but then I'll try to be back pretty shortly with more B-Shape Daily so that we don't have another big lapse like we just did. I'm looking at these shortstops, Trey Turner, Carlos Correa, Dansby Swanson, Xander Bogarts. Those are kind of the big four, and I think the Cardinals should sign one of them. I'll go into more detail next time, but for me, the hierarchy I think has Dansby Swanson toward the bottom because I don't know how sustainable consistently his offensive production will be over the course of time. And I still think you're going to have to pay up to get him because he's a winning caliber player, has won a World Series with the Braves, has given you good defense over the years, has uh, is a former top prospect, so the cachet name-wise uh, will definitely cost you some money there. And uh, the offense has been good the last couple of years. Is it sustainable, or is he a guy that you bring in and then he sort of reverts back to his early career, you know, just being a mediocre hitter? And you're paying, I don't know, 15, 18, 20 million a year, whatever it ends up being for Dansby Swanson. And you look at that and go, oh dear, <laughs> this was a this was not a wise expenditure. I think there's a possibility of that happening. So as much as I think he'd be an interesting player, good fit for the Cardinals, as I saw David O'Brien that covers the Braves, uh, I believe for the Athletic, uh, tweeted out earlier today. I don't really think Swanson's the fit of these four. What have I said about shopping on a higher shelf? If you're going to spend, go ahead and actually spend. Don't just try to cheap out on. Uh, the, the most passable option and hope that it works. Not to say that Swanson's not a good player, but he's not the one I'd be targeting. I don't think I'd be targeting Xander Bogarts either because I don't know about his staying power as a shortstop defensively. He hasn't really been a good defensive shortstop as it is. Now, if there's a case where he says, I, I don't care if I'm playing second or short, then I'm more interested in him for the Cardinals because I think you can move him to second. The bat has been really good. We'll get into it more next time, but 800 OPS or better, a lot of recent seasons and not really a guy that should decline right away offensively, but could. He's a little bit older than the other options, and so that's something to bear in mind. I just wonder if he's a free agent and likes to play shortstop, he could say, I'm only going somewhere that tells me and and gives me the assurances that I'll be playing shortstop. I think Tommy Edmond right now is already a better defensive shortstop than Bogarts, but the bat is what would definitely attract me to him. It sort of depends on the price. If they're equal in price, Swanson and Bogarts, I prefer Bogarts. But Bogarts might cost you more. We'll have to wait and see the way that plays out. The other two names are the big ones for me, though. Trey Turner, Carlos Correa. I started the offseason banging the table for Trey Turner. I think I probably even mentioned it on this podcast that he was my number one target for the Cardinals. But actually, Carlos Correa had a better offensive season this past year, and I think his game is less predicated on sort of the speed athleticism aspect that Trey Turner's is. Like, if you've got that speed and you steal 30 bases, and that's great, but does that age quite as well as... Uh, the style of play that that makes Carlos Correa valuable. I'm, I've been talked into by some other people this offseason to maybe the answer to that being no, that Correa would be the better play. I don't know who ends up costing more on an AAV, on an average annual value. I don't know who ends up getting the longer contract. They're sort of similar in age with Correa being slightly younger. Uh, but either, I think, would be worthwhile expenditures. And uh, that's sort of what I want to get into a little bit next time on B-Shape Daily and talk about how the fit for one of those shortstops could blend in with the rest of the roster and make the Cardinals pretty potent for 2023 and beyond. But that's going to do it for this edition of B-Shaped Daily. That's a little bit of a deep tease for next time. So make sure you subscribe to the show on Spotify or Apple Podcasts so that you don't miss a thing and you don't miss that shortstop conversation. Because if there's an area the Cardinals, I think, should spend big this offseason, it would be a shortstop. And once again, it's not a knock on Tommy Edmond. It's more about what adding one of these rare players could bring to the team as a whole to make the Cardinals legit contenders next year. Appreciate you guys as always for listening and we'll talk to you next time on B-Shape Daily. Peace.